Dear Mr. and Mrs. Bigman. Dear Mrs. Cushman. We regret to inform you that your husband has been killed in action. The tragic loss of your son has shocked all of us deeply. I extend my most profound sympathy to you on the recent loss of your daughter, who laid down her life on the field of battle. It is nearly impossible to find the words to say to the parents of one who has been killed in war. Some measure of comfort may be derived from the knowledge that he died in the service of his country and in the defense of a peace-loving people. Her enthusiasm and discipline marked her as an outstanding soldier, and as such, she commanded the respect of the officers and fellow soldiers of this unit. I am confident that his devotion to duty, at the cost of all hell dear, will hasten the day when ruthless aggression shall disappear from the face of the earth. I am proud to have served with him. Our faith enables us to withstand the shock and grief of death. It is my earnest prayer that Almighty God will sustain and strengthen you in this hour of trial. While the loss of your beloved one will be a hardship, we know that no life is truly lost for those who have faith in God. To all of you who have received these letters of condolence, and to all the brave men and women who gave their lives in defense of freedom, we remember you and honor you today. If you served in the military or lost a loved one in the military, will you please stand? Served in the military or lost a loved one. This morning, we honor you. We stand with you since 2,000, a little over 7,000 lives have been lost of men and women who have served. And so uh, we stand, again, when one part of the body hurts, the other part of the body comes around it uh, to comfort. And so uh, we thank you for your sacrifice, and we honor you this morning. Well, good morning, church. My name's Neil. Hi. How's everyone doing? Good. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Grateful to have everyone in the house of the Lord. Looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. You can see I have a friend up here. We'll talk more about him later. Um, So this morning we're going to be talking out of a passage of Ephesians. But before I get into that, I would like to just walk you through the last several weeks. Steve has been talking about our mission and vision and values as a church. And so I just want to walk back through that with you this morning. So our vision is to see lives transformed by God's presence, by the presence of God. And for those of you that have had that encounter with the Lord, my wife and I have talked about this. So that moment that you were saved, that moment that you knew, you almost never, you never forget that moment. And some of what, when we talk through the years of why we've been in church and stayed in church and why we have a relationship with the Lord today, there's an anchoring point in our, our, our history where we met the Lord. And we knew that he was real. And so it's that moment that we pray for. It's that moment that we hope for, for all of our church family members. I remember I was 14 years old and I was standing on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. It was, uh, it was the Promise Keepers event, Stand in the Gap. Was that what it was called? Yeah, 
um, so I was there, it was, I think I was 14. And I just remember being surrounded by all these men and women and people worshiping. And it was never clearer to me than in that moment that the Lord was real and that his presence was there. So whatever gunk gets attached to us in our lives, it's that moment of encounter where you know that the Lord is real that anchors you. It's what lets you know what home it feels like. When you've been in the presence of God, you know what home feels like. So that's our vision. These are the things we value. Discipleship. The definition of discipleship is those who make disciples. So we don't just want to have good Bible study teachings, right? We want people who will go and teach and preach and reach. How will they know if we don't send ones to disciple them? So discipleship matters to us. Sharing the gospel, again, how will they know unless someone goes and preaches the good news of the gospel to them? That's something that we value here in this church. The word of God. The Holy Spirit will never move in a way that's contrary to the word of God. The word of God anchors us. It's the foundation. It also gives us insights into God's character and who he is and how he communicates with us. When you read the word, you, get, you learn, you train your ear and your heart to know the Lord's voice. Prayer. It's right on our wall out there before you enter this door. It says, my house shall be a called a house of prayer for all nations. Prayer. So we're going to pray together. We're going to pray in families. We're going to pray as a church body because prayer is, it's out of prayer that movements of, this, of, of the Lord are continued and started. Walls come down. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is real. The third person of the Trinity lives in you, was deposited in you at the point of salvation. So you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Third person of the Trinity is real. And the Holy Spirit, we want him to have his way and move in our midst. People, all kinds of people, broken people. People have got it figured out. Even former alternative school counselors have a place here, like I used to do. So people matter. Lord sent us to serve those who were lost, to save those who were lost, to bring them into the family of God. His mission was for us, so our mission should be for others. The Lordship of Christ. It's easier to talk about him uh, saving us, our salvation, but him being Lord means that he's uniquely called and equipped and gifted us to do something. And out of that, as our Lord, he calls us to be obedient and well-steward the things that he's given us. So the Lordship of Christ is one of our values. The urgency of global missions. We're going to be sending teams to the 1040 window, to Africa, to Mexico, to all kinds of places, because it's important that the work of the, the Great Commission be accomplished. And that happens when we go and when we send. And we'll do that right here locally, too. So the urgency of global missions. And then developing servant leaders. You lead by example. So that great, Jesus gave us this picture as the great servant leader where he washed his disciples' feet. That's who we want to train and raise up. So these are our values at COS. Our mission with all of that is we are pursuing God's presence as we engage and connect people to Jesus, then equip and send them to serve others as we fulfill the great commission. Now, for those of you that have been here for a long time, I've been here 12 years, my wife and I have, it's not incredibly different from what we've said before. But I think there's some key emphasis points about engaging people outside of the church into a relationship with you first, and then a relationship with Jesus. Ministry is relational. So we have to go outside of the church to engage people in that. And then connect people to Christ through a relationship and to this church body. Be plugged in. Be ministering alongside of someone. Be a part of a discovery process where you learn how the Lord has gifted you. And then we want to equip people so that they can go and fulfill the Great Commission, the peace that the Lord has given them to fulfill. 
The whole picture is not for each and every one of us. It's for all of us together using how God gifted us to advance the Great Commission and complete this task. So that's our mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. You can sum it up with that. Now, as I was preparing for today's sermon, I found myself in Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 has a lot to say about families. You actually can do an entire sermon series on families. I'm just going to pull a couple of highlights today. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians 5. We're going to end up in six. The first part is this, verse one. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. So whether you're a father or a mother or a grandfather or a granddaughter, you are a beloved child of God. And so we're knit together in families so that we can imitate the love of Christ, that we can imitate God before one another. This applies to your family of origin. You may not have your own family yet. You may not be married yet. But he wants us to be imitators of him and walk in love. But recognize first that we are his beloved children. As the passage goes on, again, I could highlight so many points from this. Ephesians 5.21 says to husbands and wives, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's why that matters. It doesn't say submit to one another so that your spouse can be happy. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what's the insistence there? It's that I serve my wife and she, she offers grace to me when I mess up <laughs> out of reverence for Christ. That's the place at which we serve our spouse. So we're, we're submitted to one another in love in that way. It also says that husbands and wives receive love differently. I was a little surprised. This book came out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago called Love and Respect. If you've read that book, raise your hand. Love and Respect. You've read that book? There's a few. So here's, here's a couple of keys. This is just a brief primer. If you haven't studied it, it's probably the one of the more enriching things you can do as a couple. To understand that wives want to be loved by their husbands. So when I make a critical or negative comment that comes across unloving, it wounds my wife. It hurts my wife. And that jump starts a cycle of her not wanting to show respect or love back. And it's cyclical. It goes like this. And so it's important to understand that men and women are loved differently. Now, I know, and, and those of you that experience know, that when your wife is, is, is for you and showing respect, I don't mean submission, I just mean respect, honoring you, there is few things more life-giving than that. And so it's important to recognize that in each of our marriage, married relationships, and even I would say your friendships, but this is specific to husbands and wives, but understand how men and women receive love differently. It's in your kids too, fathers and daughters. Kids, I'm not leaving you out. There's a lot to say about children in the Bible. Here's one, my favorite one. Good friend of mine, Cindy Tichy, would pray this over my kids. Speak it probably to many of your kids that have been in the church for a while. Children, obey your parents and show them honor. This is the first commandment with a promise. So you have a part to play in this too. In this family of God, my dear friends that are sitting with us today, honor and obey your parents. Again, out of, this is similar to what I said earlier, reverence for Christ. So that's why you do it. And if you do that, you get a promise. There's a promise in scripture for you that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. So parents, if you're looking for an extra thing to use in parenting your children, just say, hey, Bible tells you so. 
get in, come on. And there's a promise that comes with it. But it's important to know that as children, you have a role to play in the family as well. Here's more. And I'm going to pick on fathers for a second. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. That's an important word. I know that when I get frustrated or I get upset, I said in first service that that picture up there, if you swap out a boy for a girl, that could be last Tuesday, right? I mess it up. Sometimes I get frustrated. And in my humanness, I lash out or I say something that's, that's unloving. And what's important is to understand the rhythm of grace and forgiveness in your family. How does that work? When you mess up, do you go and repent? Do you go and seek the forgiveness of the person for whom you've messed it up, right? So fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means help them to understand grace. Help them to understand grace and help them to know a lot of the stuff that we're gonna talk about today with the armor. All right, let's get into the passage. You've got your Bibles open, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness arrayed, it means put on, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, which is the war, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. And to this end, stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for the saints. Now let me address that pray in the Spirit at all times part of the passage. It's hard to see up there, but there's a small picture of a priest standing at a golden altar of incense. So in the temple, there was a golden altar of incense, and they would burn incense on that altar. It's right outside the Holy of Holies. And the the type, the indicator for us, is that is likened to the prayers of the saints. So when we pray, when we pray, it is impossible to pray the will of God without praying in the Spirit. So when we pray, we offer that prayer as an incense, and the Holy Spirit ignites that prayer and carries that prayer uh, so that the, the, the Lord, he, he receives it so that the Lord hears it. So it's important to understand praying in the Spirit at all times means we're not empowered to pray unless the Holy Spirit is active within us. And there's good news in that. Because as we'll talk about later, once you were saved, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So he's in there. He lives inside of you. So when you pray, it's possible to pray in the flesh. It's possible to pray in the flesh. But the things of God are done when you pray, understanding that it's the Spirit of God moving that allows us to praise God's will. Pray God's will. All right, so in order to stand against the enemy, 
Know who you are in Christ. These first four pieces of armor that we're going to talk about, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace for the shoes, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, they tell us a little bit about who we are in Christ. And real quick, for the kids that are sitting in here with us, you guys have a kid's bulletin. And so whenever you see that little COS Kids logo, it's going to be in one of the corners. That's an indicator to you that one of your blanks is on this this, this screen, so you can fill that out, all right? So track with me here. So know who you are in Christ. So the belt of truth, starting with the belt of truth. The belt of truth is right here. It's affixed on the bottom, okay? It holds the breastplate of righteousness, but there's also passages of scripture that tells us more about truth. Whoops. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So in order to understand truth, we have to know Jesus. Jesus allows us to understand truth. And he is the truth. And so when the third person, the Trinity, lands inside of us and he transformed, we're transformed in that moment, we have the power to see the difference between truth and lies. So here's the definition that which is consistent, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. So here's a test. Is it anchored to eternal principles? Is the truth that you're hearing, what's the fruit when you receive that? And I'll give some examples here in just a second. How does it measure up to Christ? So if we're going to tell the difference between a truth and a lie, we have to use these measures to know what's truth and what's not. So, and there's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If the truth, if the statement that you're hearing, speaking, or the voice is saying to you in your head does not produce fruits of the Spirit, that should be a check. Is this a truth? Is this truth from the Lord God, or am I believing something else? So, here's an example. My worry helps. If I worry enough, now nobody would probably ever say this. If I worry enough, then it'll get done. What does the scripture say about worry? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Not one moment, not one minute of your life can be added to because you have worried. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Because does our Father in heaven not love the sparrow and clothe him and provide for him? So sometimes we get stuck on this worry cycle and we just think if I just, I can could, I could work it through in my head. It's a lie because worry will not accomplish the purposes of God. Here's another one. This is an interesting one. The, the devil always uses a near truth, a near truth. So I don't deserve love. Some of you may be sitting here today, you may feel that way. I'm not deserving of love. There's a part of that that's true. None of us is deserving of the love of Christ. None of us is worthy. There is none other heaven, under heaven who are righteous. So part of that, part of that is true. But you've got to remember the back half of that story, right? So we may not be worthy of it, but he gave his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Because why? Because he loved us. Because he looked at us and knew we weren't going to be worthy. 
And so what does he do? He speaks a new identity over us. You are made worthy in me. So think about the danger of believing that lie. I don't deserve love. That's a lie. That's a lie. We are worthy by his grace and who he is. All right, so U.S. kids, you got another sign up there, all right? When we know the person of truth, we know the difference between truth and lie. So here's the truth. We have victory in Jesus Christ. So all of this armor is for a battle that's already been won. We're walking into a battle that's already been won. Because when Jesus died on the cross, that took all of the power away from the enemy. So why do we still need the armor? Well, because the enemy's still trying. He's still trying to fight. He's still trying to get us to believe a lie. So first and foremost, we have to realize that the battle has already been won. Truth number two, we have a new nature. Scripture says that the old man is gone. The old man has passed away. I had a season in my life where I wasn't walking faithfully with the Lord. And I remember doing some of the things that I used to do in my old life. And it never fit. It never felt right. So when you get a new nature, when the Lord grabs hold of your heart and transforms you, and you try to go back and do the things that are part of your old nature, it feels off. And you know it feels off. Because you don't have that nature anymore. Scripture says that nature, that old man, has been put to death. And you've got a new nature, a new heart in Jesus Christ. Here's another one. I did this at the first service. I'll give you an example here. And somebody brought me this. This is so cool. So we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, right? So I stand over here and I'm in the darkness. My camera guys are going, what are you doing? Why are you way over there, right? So I'm in the darkness. When we believe on Jesus Christ, when we allow him to change our lives, when we receive our salvation, he transfers us from the darkness into the light, So now you're part of a new kingdom. You're not part of the old kingdom anymore. So now when you go back to the darkness, you go back to the darkness in light. You go back to the darkness full of light because you're a new person, because the kingdom of darkness no longer has a hold on you. You have light in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that darkness, you're illuminated. You're illuminated. Don't return to the light. That's the truth. Oh, I love this one. Oh my gosh, jumping ahead. This one right here I found when I was preparing for this week. I hadn't read this scripture before. At least I didn't remember that I had. Here's a truth, family. Listen to this truth. We are not strangers. We are not outsiders. We are citizens with the saints and we are members of God's family. Receive that truth this morning. You may feel isolated. You may feel on your own. You may feel like you're fighting a battle alone. But scripture tells us that you are not. Scripture scripture tells us that you're not a stranger to God, that you're not alienated or separated from God. We, in fact, become citizens in his kingdom. Receive the truth. All right, breastplate of righteousness. These work in tandem, right? So the belt of truth is on the breastplate of righteousness. They're paired together. Righteousness is about position first. We are made righteous by faith. So let me read this scripture to you, Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also obtained access to the faith. So righteousness 
is not something we drum up and do ourselves. Righteousness comes through faith. He looks at us and he says, I see your sins no more. You have been cleansed. You have been washed. I see a new creation. Jesus was without sin and he became sin. He became sin in order to make us righteous. Somebody had to pay the penalty for sin. And Jesus did. And it's because of his sacrifice that we even can entertain the breastplate of righteousness. Right living is only possible because Jesus' sacrifice broke the power of sin. In other words, we had no means by which we could do it ourselves. And in order to understand that we've been made righteous, we've got to wake up every day, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and go, Lord, I believe that truth. That your sacrifice broke the power of sin so I could choose right living. And that when you look at me, you see one who is righteous. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, Isaiah 32, 17. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. I would replace that trust forever and just say assurance. The righteousness of Christ is our assurance against the enemy's accusations. So when he does what he does, just like he did to Adam and Eve, and he said, did the Lord really say that you were made righteous? You could say, I put on my breastplate today. Yes, of course he did. Because I believe that Jesus' sacrifice broke the power of sin, so I don't have to listen to what you're saying. Breastplate of righteousness is our assurance against the enemy's accusations. All right, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation means we have given control of our mind to God. So anybody have wandering thoughts or you lay down at night and you have the most difficult time falling asleep because you're just thinking, rolling it over and over and over again? Some of us have probably experienced that. I know I have, yeah. So the helmet of salvation is important because we can take those thoughts Captive. We can take those thoughts through the power of the Holy Spirit. We would do this, uh, I've done this with my daughters a little bit. When you're worried, when you're thinking about something, worry, pray. Worry, pray. Pray through that. Instead of worry, pray the things that you're concerned about to God. So the helmet of salvation means that we don't have a lack of control over our mind anymore. We have given control of our mind over to God. The Roman helmet served two purposes protection, protection and identification. This little plume on the top, it identified rank. It identified company, right? So this is why it's important to us. Can you imagine waking up for your day? What helmets do we sometimes put on instead of the helmet of salvation? The helmet of, I got to get to work and do A, B, and C. The helmet of, I've got four employees that are going to quit on me today if I don't do this. The helmet of, I'm failing as a husband and I don't know how to start a, restart a relationship with my kids. Be careful what helmet you put on your head. The helmet of salvation that says Jesus Christ redeemed me, that he has my whole life, that identifies us. And when we put on the helmet of salvation, when we put on the helmet of salvation, he seals us, marks us, identifies us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an indicator of the life of Christ in you. So our assurance of salvation comes with the promised, sealed Holy Spirit. Here's another one. No one can say Jesus is Lord except 
by the Holy Spirit. All right, I got some kids out there. What, which one of you, my friends, would want to wear the helmet? Right now, in service, in service, who's brave enough to come up? I got a lot of me's out there. Oh, get my girl Hannah up here. All right, Hannah, come up here. Yeah, all right. Everybody say hi to Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Woo! Oh, I don't want to mess up your pretty hair, though. All right, turn and face them. Okay, so Hannah, let me ask you a question. I know you, so I know this is true. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did he die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? He did? Well, guess what? You get a new hat. How's that look on her? (laughs) So, is that pretty heavy? You You know that that's there, right? Yeah. So I want you to remember this moment, Hannah, because anytime the world tries to steal away your salvation or tries to cause you to doubt, I want you to remember that you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and that means you get to wear the helmet. Sound good? All right, show Hannah some love. So good. All right. So I just have this question I asked at the beginning. What helmet do you put on when you wake up in the morning? The Lord might be asking you if you want to wear a different one. COS kids, here's another indicator for you all. We stand in God's shoes, his gospel of peace. Now, I didn't know this, but this is a replica of the shoes that they wore. And I don't know how well you can see it, but there are spikes on the bottom of that thing. I mean, they're like a good quarter, half inch long. They're big old spikes right there, right? So it's interesting to me that something that's the gospel of peace would be so significant, I mean, pointy and sharp and scary, right? So here's what I will draw your attention to. In the passage that we read, in about two verses, it says, stand firm, maybe three, maybe four times. You see this all over the armor of God, stand firm. Do you think it would be easy to stand firm if you had these cleats dug into the ground underneath your feet? Could you imagine stepping back? It's a whole understanding of stand firm. Stand firm. What are we standing firm in? The gospel of peace. I'll submit this to you too. Stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So when you stand firm as a believer, when you stand firm in your church family, you're not standing firm by yourself. You've got people on either side of you. You've got people all the way around. So it says stand firm in one spirit side by side side. The gospel says, be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that is in you and do so. Love this. We sometimes leave this off the back half of first Peter three fifteen. do so with gentleness and respect. So notice that this is not an offensive weapon. When you use the the feet, when you use the gospel of peace, you don't take off the spiky shoe and throw it at somebody, right? Doesn't work. Somebody gets hurt, lose an eye, right? Stand firm is about your position. This is not an offensive weapon. This is about your position. Stand firm in the gospel. Do you have believers on either side of you? you Do you understand that when we give a reason for the hope that is in us, we're meant to do so with gentleness and respect? 
Giving honor. Love that passage. One of my favorite ones. Outdo one another in showing honor. So Satan has declared war, and you and I are ambassadors of peace. So do not be proud or conceited, but as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So pride's in there a bunch of times. If we approach somebody with the gospel of peace in a prideful way, somebody's wound to get up hurt, to end up hurt. So it gives a new interesting meaning to defend the gospel. I think sometimes we think defend the gospel means argue it. And I think what defend the gospel actually means is defend the power of the good news of Christ for other people in that you don't earn your way into it. Defending the gospel means telling everybody who's pursuing a relationship with Christ or wanting to know more that you don't earn it. You don't strive for it. It is a gift that is free. And when you believe, when you believe, he is faithful and follows through. So defense of the gospel means, man, stop going after these works. Do good works. That's a good thing. Good works don't get, don't get people into the kingdom. It's only the salvation of Christ that gets people into the kingdom. So when we defend the gospel, defend the good news, understanding that it's the gospel that saves. You don't clean up your life first and then come to Christ. Doesn't work that way. You come to Christ and he walks you through the truth and the promises and cleans up your life for you. So be at peace with God and others and be ready to share the gospel in and out of season. These are also shoes of readiness, readiness to share the gospel. Somebody's going to ask you, there's people in your life right now that are just waiting for you to say it, that are just waiting for you to ask them about it. So be ready. Know your weapons. So we've talked about who we are in Christ. We've talked about all the defensive weapons. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the active weapons. All right, we've got the shield of faith, the shield of faith, which is meant to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, right? Shield of faith. And we've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this sword right here was a gift. It was a gift from my wife. She worked with Joe Blackburn, our men's ministry leader, former board chairman, to pull that. It's got my name embroidered on it. It was one of the greatest gifts I ever received to have a sword. And when I picked that, picked that thing up, I had two revelations at the same time. The first revelation was, man, that thing's heavy, right? It's decorative, but it's heavy. And so I was surprised by that. And there's nothing, you like, when you hold a sword, you're just like, yeah, you're like, you get excited about holding a sword, right? My second revelation when I held that sword was, man, I'm sure glad nobody's depending on me to defend them with this sword because I have absolutely no idea how to use it. And the same is true for us with the word of God. There must be training in the word of God. You have to practice using the sword of the spirit because if you don't practice, if you don't exercise that, then when you pick up that sword and go to use it, your arm's going to get tired and you're going to lay it down. If I had to fight an entire battle with that sword, that's what would happen. And the reality is we are meant to practice God's word. We're meant to stand upon his promises, know the person of truth, believe in truth, speak truth, wield the sword, but we have to rehearse it. We have to do it. We can't just let it sit. We can't just not use it. We can't speak, we can't just sit there and not speak the promises of God over our lives and over our families. 
Our weapons, my serious kids' friends, have divine power to defeat evil. So yeah, these are physical things that we can see here. But the spiritual, the full armor of God has divine power strategically intended to defeat the enemy and the evil one. I'll read this verse to you out of 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This passage is talking about what it looks like to wage war while wearing the full armor. Divine power to demolish strongholds. All right, so the shield of faith stops the enemy's attacks and is needed for all circumstances. Now, I did some reading on the shield of faith. This one's metal, but the things that I saw said it was probably wood. So this shield would be a wood shield and it was wrapped in leather on the outside edges. And so in the, with this being a wood shield, they, would, they learned that you needed to soak it in water before going to battle. So they would soak their shields. Why? Why do you soak your shields? Because if the enemy's shooting flaming arrows, the flaming arrows need to land in something wet so that they don't light your shield on fire if this thing's made of wood. So they learned by practice, by experience, by testing how to wield the shield of faith. You had to soak it in water. So the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Here's another key, friends. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear this. The shield is the only piece of armor that can protect others. When your faith, when your spouse's faith is not strong, when they're going through a challenging time, you can stand firm with your shield of faith. And with that shield of faith, you can protect others. You can protect your house. You can protect your kids. You can protect your whole family. You can protect your church. The shield is the only piece of armor that can protect others. And you see this in Roman military. One of the most successful things about the Roman military was when they marched in formation. They marched in formation. And so these shields were designed to interlock with the shield on either side. And so you could build, this is called, the the technique is called testudo, means tortoise. And so when they would move in their legions, they would put these shields up and that's an impenetrable. You got those cleats back on the ground. You got the shields underneath. They're holding them up. They're trained in them. They know how to use them. And that's that's a difficult thing to break. And that's how the Lord, that's why the Lord placed us in families. That's why the Lord placed us in churches. That's why we're a part of a church family. That's why you all are here this morning so that we can stand together. We don't fight this battle alone. Your shield of faith, you're not just a sole lone warrior out there slashing at the enemy. You're meant to stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ and stand for your children and your spouse. The sword of the Spirit is carried in the belt of truth. So that's where it's positioned. So it's out of truth, the belt of truth, knowing Jesus Christ as the truth that we can use the sword of the Spirit. We talked about practice. The sword of the Spirit is God's word. It's God's word. The word of God is the perfect weapon against the father of lies. Why? Well, it's sitting in the belt of truth. The word of God is sourced in truth. He is truth. The word of God heals the wounds of man by piercing the heart. That's a little bit complex to really think about. 
But the word of God can bring healing where the sword of the world has brought hurt and pain. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you sit with your Bible open, be ready. Be ready. Because the Lord will reveal the thoughts and intentions of your heart. He will speak to you in those moments. It's living and active. All right, I'm going to roll through this pretty quickly. Know your enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Satan is like a lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour. So we've talked about who we are in Christ. We've talked about how we equip ourselves with the full armor. But in any battle, you also have to know the tactics of your enemy. And remember, my COS kids friends, this is on your sheet. Our struggle is not against other people. It's not against other people. It's against Satan and his invisible, invisible evil powers. Know your enemy. What does he sound like? We all know what he sounds like. Lies, accusations, shame, bitterness, confusion, fear. Satan is a murderer. There's no truth in him. Lies are his native language. And they make up his character. Know your enemy. He's the accuser. We're going through Revelation right now as a church. He's the accuser of the brethren. He stands to accuse. He stands to confuse. He stands to perpetuate lies. Did the Lord really say? Now, the good news is we can help each other because the word of God shows us that his tactics are very clear. Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil himself. He said, look at these stones. Jesus had been fasting for, 40, fasting for 40 days. Look at these stones. Are you hungry? You got power? Turn them into bread. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, right? Angel rescue. If you are God, then throw yourself off this mountain and the angels will catch you. And what does Jesus say? Shall not test the Lord your God. He stood in the word of truth And he recognized that Satan was trying to prop him up, was trying to get him to buy in to this prideful, haughty lie. And then he says, look at all these kingdoms. If you'll just bow down and worship me, then they are all yours. Again, lust of the eyes. What can he tempt you with? It's going to come in three ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. If Satan's going to come after you, it's going to be in one of those three ways. So once we know his tactics, we know how to help each other stand. Here's the other part, brothers and sisters. (laughs) Know your allies. God placed us in families and in a church family so we can have each other's back. There's a reason that this shield doesn't wrap all the way around the soldier. It's because it's meant to be used with somebody standing next to you, standing behind you, so God placed us in families so that we can, ooh, that almost went, so that we can, so that we can help each other. 
The true strength of the Roman soldiers, as I mentioned, was when they fought in formation. Remember this. We are on the same team in the body of Christ and in our families. And if one part of your body is hurting, if one part of your body is suffering, then by golly, you better take a stand in the word of truth. You better take a stand and pray. You better take a stand and encourage them with what the Lord is saying and who they are in Christ. That's why God gave us families. That's why God gave us the church. Worship team, you come on out. I feel like I need to fix this. So when Julie prayed about unity in the beginning of the service, I had already picked out, oh no, I lost my, what did I do? I blacked it out, there we go. I'd already picked out this verse to share with you all as we close. We're gonna close and then we're gonna do communion. So I wanna read this to you. As a prisoner in the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love and with diligence, preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, and just as you were called to one hope when you were called, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And to each one of us, Grace has been given according to the measure of Christ. So, we serve one God, and we serve him together. And he put us together specifically for this purpose, and he gifted us in his grace in a unique way. And when he gave us that gift, that gift came with the expectation that we would use it. Use it to build up the kingdom of God. Use it to cover your families. Use it to get involved in your church. Any church. So if you picked up communion at the, uh, as you were coming in, you take that out now. So as we take communion, the altar is open. Some of you have been nursing wounds. Some of you may go, I think that my armor needs a, needs a dust-up, needs a repair. Well, the Lord wants to meet you here today. The Lord wants to pour his love out over you. And so as we move into this time of prayer and response, uh, don't let this holy moment pass where he calls you and he speaks to you and he ministers you to you as you kneel and pray. So Jesus committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his stripes, we are healed. So when we move into this moment of communion, we take bread, which represents Jesus's body. We eat the bread and the bread symbolizes that his body has paid the penalty for our sins. His flesh died so that ours didn't have to. He says, whenever you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and the blood and the blood was meant to wash us clean. It's by his blood that we are made clean. So, life is in the blood. 
his blood poured out on the cross gives new life to you and me. So when you drink this, you drink and receive the new life of Christ through his blood. Father, I thank you that you loved us so much that you saw fit to send us your son, that you looked at us and you said, you are worthy, you are loved, you are my child. We didn't deserve that, Lord, but in your grace and in your mercy, you gave. And it's because of that sacrifice that we don't have to walk in pain or fear or tragedy anymore. You want to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So Lord, I thank you for our families. I thank you for our church family. That we can be about the business of reminding one another who we are in Christ and standing together with our shields of faith aligned. Standing firm, pointed directly at the enemy, saying, no, the enemy will not take this ground from us. Thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have in you. If there's anyone out there who is not certain that they can put on the helmet of salvation yet because they haven't had that moment, this is your moment. This is your moment to come down and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to come in, save me, cleanse me, release me from my sin, break the power that sin has over me. And there may be some of us out there who aren't sure if we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is your moment. The altar will be open as we move into this time of reflection. Just come and let the Spirit of God minister to you, assure you that he is our Savior, that he did seal us with the promise of his Holy Spirit. Don't let this moment pass. Respond to him in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship. Okay. 
Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Lord, we just invite you to take your armor and place it upon us. Lord, I pray that you would place the helmet of salvation on everyone's heads, that they may know without a doubt that they've been saved and sealed and redeemed by you. Lord, the breastplate of righteousness is not something we accomplish in our own work, but something that you have done through paying the penalty for us on the cross. So thank you, God, as we place the breastplate of righteousness, that we are righteous as you are righteous. And Lord, we wrap around our waist the belt of truth. We stand in your truth, Lord, that we may be able to know and discern truth from lie. And Father, we stand firm in the gospel of peace, aligned with one another, next to one another, as family, standing against a common enemy, Lord. May we be ambassadors of your peace. And Lord, we take up the shield. We just place it in front of us. We pick it up. We say, I believe, Lord. I believe that you can overcome every challenge that I've faced. I believe that you can reach into this dark part of my life and you can save and redeem it. I believe, Lord, that your goodness can triumph over all that is evil in the land, Lord. We grab hold of our shield so that others might be protected, Lord, and show us, teach us, instruct us in how to wield the sword of the Spirit. We pick up the sword of the Spirit, your word, and we will pick up your word every day so that we can stand against the attacks, the attacks of the enemy. We walk in victory, Lord, triumphant, because of who you are in and through us. Father, I just pray there are any in this space who need ministry, there are any in this room who have this hurt spot that they can't just get healed, Lord, I just pray that you would call them forth. There'll be people down here that can pray with you. Lord, we trust you, we love you, we're grateful for you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If there's any Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.